Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's word together and continuing our study of the book of Isaiah. Welcome, Lucian. Glad you could join us again live. And Keith, and for the rest of you that are with us. So we're continuing in uh, chapter 59. And uh, I had planned, you know, we're so close to the end of Isaiah. I had planned to kind of push on ahead and uh, there's just there's some great stuff coming up, and I'm sure we'll have some lively discussion. I'll, I expect some comments later on. Anyway, I just can't go too fast through this. We're in a interesting section. It's all going to be interesting from here on out. So I'm going to slow down a bit, and I can't remember where I left off yesterday, or what I said we we're going to do. But it may not be what I said. Anyway, uh, this is again, as I said yesterday, a great section to be in because. This end of 59 and the beginning of 60, I guess it's really all 59. These are important passages quoted in the New Testament. And we need to always let the New Testament inform us as to the intention of the Old Testament. And I say it's good timing because on Monday, this coming Monday, the 17th, start is the 17th or 18th? whatever it is, Monday, starting at 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time, we have our next NCST course. That's the New Covenant School of Theology. And that course, it's a four-week course, Monday, Tuesday nights. If you can't join us live, you can watch the videos. Uh, That course is called Intro to Biblical Theology, and a significant portion of that uh, course is looking at how the New Testament interprets the Old. And it's the idea of biblical theology is looking at the entire Bible as the story of Jesus in distinction from a systematic theology that uh, looked at things more in a, um, a doctrinal heading uh, approach. Anyway, I won't, I won't teach the whole course now. <laughs> I'll save it for Monday. But um, I'll put a link in the, uh, the show notes here. The link is live now. If you go to newcovenantschoolofteology.org, you can sign up for uh, for that class, take it for credit or audit. And if you have not been a student before, the first thing you want to do is hit apply and send us your application. It's not very long. Okay, so Isaiah 59. And remember, God is, he's gearing up. He is putting on his armor. That's what we've seen in Isaiah 59. He's, uh, he's getting his Iron Man uh, panoply on. Eh, bad analogy, but you know what I mean. He's, he sees something that he does not like. And he sees no one taking action. And so he rises to the occasion. So let's back up a bit. Isaiah 49, or 59 rather, verse 14. Justice is turned back. He's looking at his people, his city, His kingdom, justice is turned back. Righteousness stands far away. Truth has stumbled in the street. And I don't want to skip over this word for. That's an explanation. Why is righteousness far away? Why is justice turned away and turned back? Because truth has stumbled in the street. Interestingly, yesterday, I was listening to... um, uh, Tulsi Gabbard on, uh, on Joe Rogan. And she was talking about why she was leaving the Democratic Party. And what was interesting, here are these two people, which I know Joe Rogan's not a Christian. He mocks Christianity. I don't think Tulsi Gabbard is a Christian. 
she is pro-faith and pro-God and pro-spirituality, but I don't think she's a believer. Here are these two, and they are just aghast at the, the whole transgender preoccupation in our nation today. And especially as kids are being sexualized and led to these, uh, well, they get into to all that. And it's fascinating to listen to these two who are, especially Tulsi Gabbard is saying it's because the left and the Democratic Party has forsaken truth. And as the two of them dialogue about this, truth in their minds comes from science. And so they're kind of mocking those who are pursuing, uh, uh, they would say there is such a thing as transgender, but, but they're, the, this preoccupation with um, mutilating kids, doing surgeries and all that is because we have left truth which is science. And they get into the COVID stuff and the vaccine, all the controversy that continues there and say, we've left truth, we've left science. Well, they're partially right in their diagnosis, aren't they? It's true. All the craziness. And they call it injustice. They, they call it, um, well, they don't use, quite use the word unrighteousness, but they, they realize the government has way overstepped its bounds. It has left righteousness and justice and the law because they've abandoned truth and they are partially right. The problem is if, if they were pushed to prove the trustworthiness of science, it would not take long to cause them to oppose science because they're holding to certain definitions. Anyway, the point is it is true, when truth stumbles in the street, justice and righteousness have no place. And we're seeing it in all of our nations today, in the U.S., in Europe, and elsewhere, because they have abandoned the truth of Jesus Christ. That truth has stumbled, and therefore there's no righteousness to be found. That's why we have to preach truth teach truth, make disciples with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the lordship of Jesus Christ and so on. Well, God looks down at his people who had the law, who had his revelation, and he sees that justice has turned away because truth has stumbled in the street. He says, yes, truth is lacking, and he who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. Remember, we talked about this yesterday. The one who calls this out is fed upon by the leaders, just like we see today. Anybody who dares, I mean, Tulsi Gabbard, and I'm not holding her up as a, as a saint here, but she is defying the current narrative. And she is, uh, she's, she, the, the Democrats are turning on her, and they have for a long time because she didn't play the game the way they told her to. And now that she's left, they're going to come out at her even more. Well, that's a, that's a similar structure, although, again, I'm not saying she is standing for real truth or ultimate truth, but she is calling out some evil and like vultures, the left is turning on her. Well, God is seeing his own people, the Jews, when someone turns aside from evil, when the remnant of the Jews strive for righteousness before God, the rest of them, the leadership turns on them and preys on them. 
That's the situation that Isaiah is seeing here. And the Lord saw this and it was displeasing in his sight that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no man. He was astonished that there was no one to intercede. So the Lord himself is going to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation to him. He's going to rise up and deliver his people, the people who are uh, turning against evil. His righteousness, the Lord's righteousness, upheld him. He put on righteousness like a breastplate. See, he's putting on his, his armor. He's, he's he put on this, this protection for his chest. Well, what is that? It's his righteousness, his justice, doing the right thing. And on his head, he's putting on a helmet, which is his salvation, deliverance, rescue. And these garments he's putting on, vengeance, vengeance against his enemies. And he's wrapping himself with zeal. And he's, he's eager to do this. He is eager to punish the enemies and rescue the repentant. According to their deeds, so he will repay wrath to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. See, so he's going to, he's going to rescue his people, bring wrath to those who are against him. And it's going to be widespread to the coastlands. He will make recompense. So they will fear the name of the Lord from the West and his glory from the rising of the sun, west to east, everywhere. They're going to fear the Lord. He will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives. A redeemer will come to Zion. That's the Lord, right? He's coming to rescue his people. He's coming to his city, the holy city Zion, and he is going to buy her back from the enemies. He's coming to Zion to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, declares the Lord. As for me, the Lord, this is my covenant with them. With who? With those who turn in Jacob. Those who turn from transgression in Jacob. God is making a covenant with them. And here it is. My spirit which is upon you. Ooh, who's the you all of a sudden? This you is singular. So he's making covenant with those in Jacob who repent from their transgressions. And this is the covenant that his spirit, God's spirit, which is upon you, singular, and my words, which I've put in your mouth, singular, shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your seed, translated here, offspring, nor from the mouth of your seed's seed, or your offspring's offspring, says the Lord, from now and forever. Do you see what's going on here? Just like we have seen all the way through Isaiah, God is predicting the future glory of Zion. All the way back to chapter 2. Zion and the house of the Lord on the mountain of the Lord, it's going to rise up and all the nations are going to stream to it. 
the anointed one is coming, the one who's in imbued with, endued, who's empowered by the spirit of the Lord. We saw that in chapter 11. The child is going to be born. The son's going to be given. The, the deliverer is coming. The, the servant is coming. And, and we just saw recently, just out of nowhere, this one verse that's talking about that servant again. Here's the same thing. The redeemer is coming. And he's going to come to Zion, to those who turn from their transgression in Jacob. And God's making a covenant with those who turn. And this is it. His spirit, which is on you, singular, the servant, the conqueror, the son, the child, the anointed one. The spirit that's on him, his word, the Lord's words, He's going to put in this one's mouth and it will not, his words will not depart from this one's mouth, nor will the words, his words, the Lord's words depart from the offspring. We have seen the servant with offspring. Anybody remember where? This interesting phrasing of the servant having offspring occurred uh, recently in Isaiah. I'll give you a chance to see if anybody knows where that is. So let's just put this all together, and then I want to take us to a New Testament passage here. So God is uh, upset. He is provoked at the lack of justice and righteousness among his people in his city. Truth is stumbled in the streets, and there's no man to call out the injustice of the leaders, of the oppressors. There's no one leading the repentant ones into, uh, into victory over them. So the Lord gears up. He's going to do it. He puts on his armor. He's coming to Zion. He's the Redeemer coming. And for all those who repent of their transgressions, the remnant, all those who, who are appalled at the injustice and, and really are, are seeking to please the Lord, God's going to redeem them. He's going to buy them out of that uh, that enslavement, that, that oppression. And God's going to make a covenant with them. He's going to put his spirit on this redeemer. He's going to give his words to this redeemer and to the redeemer's offspring. And the offspring of the offspring of this redeemer. Tracking with me? So there are two New Testament passages that make a significant use of this section. And I, I alluded to one of them yesterday. I think we'll come back and look at that one tomorrow. But I want to I look at a different one today. By the way, the answer to the question is in Isaiah 53, the servant, when he suffers, when he takes upon himself the iniquity of the people, when he takes... The, uh, the suffering that they deserve. Uh, it says he looks and is satisfied and he has offspring there in Isaiah 53. So you might want to go back and, and look at that. So the Apostle Paul draws from this idea here in, uh, in the armor of God in Ephesians 6. It's a fairly popular passage. You, you, may, you may know it. You may be familiar with it. So he says this at the end of his letter to the Ephesians. Finally, be 
strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So his, his final exhortation to the Ephesians, the, the, the apostle says, the Lord has strength, the Lord has might. I'm urging you, use that strength and you be strong, Christian, you be strong. And here he says, put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now, this word devil is the word diabolos. It comes over in English as diabolical. When you talk about something being diabolical, you're talking about something being devilish or someone being devilish, that diabolical or whatever, they're being devilish. Well, the word means adversary, someone who is your enemy, who is working adversely against you, adversary. Keep that word adversary locked in your mind here as, as the meaning of this word devil because it's going to be important in a second, okay? So just lock that in. So Paul says, be strong. Dress up, put on, put on your armor, gear up, put on God's armor. It's not your armor, it's God's armor for this purpose. The adversary has schemes, craftiness, and we need to stand against that craftiness, okay? Why? For our struggle, our wrestling, our fight, it's not against flesh and blood. Isn't that interesting? It says our, our fight is not against man, mankind, flesh, blood. Rather, it's against rulers and powers and the world forces of this darkness, the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenlies. Paul says their battle, and I say there because I, I want to keep this in its original context before we just apply it to ourselves, but to the Ephesians, he's saying, our battle here is not against humans. We're struggling. We're, we're wrestling against these spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenlies. And these different words, powers, world forces, authorities, and such are different ways to describe the, uh, the ranks of the spiritual forces. Therefore, he says, take up the full armor of God, A repetition of this. Why? So that you will be able to resist in the evil day. That raises a question, doesn't it? When is the evil day? What is the evil day? Is it every day? Is there a specific day Paul has in mind? <clears throat> Whatever your answer to that question is, the Ephesians need to put on God's armor so they can oppose the adversary and his schemes when he comes and do everything, put on the armor and do everything to stand firm. So the craftiness of the adversary is coming and you need to gear up and be ready to stand against it. <clears throat> then he gives the command, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Now, this one is actually taken from Isaiah chapter 11. Did I pull that up here? I did, yeah. Uh, when it talks about the Lord here is coming, he's going to, this is the anointed one that we looked at way back when. The shoot of Jesse, the spirit will be on him. He'll be 
He'll have the spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and strength, might, uh, knowledge and fear of the Lord. He'll delight in the Lord, etc. He will uh, strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. Righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness, similar word to truth, will be his belt. Paul grabs that idea and says, gird up your loins with truth. Truth here being similar to faithfulness. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's from the text that we see there in Isaiah 59. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That he's alluding to Isaiah 52 when he said how faithful uh, are the feet of him who brings good news, the, the one on the mountain. So you, you gird up your loins, you, you hike up your, your skirt, it's a, the, the, um, the, uh, the robe, uh, tunic, right? You hike that up so that your knees are free to run with a, a, a belt that is the faithfulness or the truth. You put on your breastplate of righteousness. You put on your feet the good news of peace. He says, in addition, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So the evil one is firing these flaming arrows, but you've got a shield that's faith. That's trust, which will intercept those flaming arrows. Take up the helmet of salvation, Isaiah 59 again, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, we don't often think of these two tying back to Isaiah 59, but remember, this is my covenant with them. My spirit, which is on you, Messiah, anointed one, my spirit and my words. And this uh, words here, which I have put in your mouth, Messiah, will not depart from your mouth nor from their mouth. So this one who's coming, this redeemer is going to have God's spirit and his words, his truth. His promises. Paul says, oops. In addition, take up the shield of faith with which you will, oh, I read that, sorry. Take out the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit because we are his offspring. We have his spirit, which is the word of God. The connection here again between God's word, his truth, his promise, and the spirit, and God saying, this is my covenant with those who are being redeemed, they will have my spirit and my words. With all prayer and petition, praying at all times in the spirit, with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known the mystery uh, with boldness, the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Paul is being oppressed. There's no justice for him. He's being arrested on false charges. And he's asking them to pray that he can speak boldly. Lots of interesting things here. I want to go back to one more thing here in, uh, in Isaiah 59, just to raise a couple more questions for you to think about. 
So I read this. Uh, they will fear the name of the Lord from the west, the glory, the rising of the sun. So from west to east, right? We, we talked about this. This, this second uh, phrase or third phrase in Isaiah 59, 19, he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives. That may be what Isaiah wrote, but the, the word here is, uh, uh, I'm trying to not get too technical for you. Back here, see then verse 18 here, the word adversaries, wrath is coming to his adversaries. And I pointed out that diabolos in the Greek in Ephesians is adversary. Well, this word adversaries is also occurs right here in this phrase. So if you change one of the vowel marks, it can be translated rushing stream. But it's the same word as is back here, adversaries. So it may be that what Isaiah sees here is the adversary will rush upon them and the wind, which wind is the same word as spirit, which the spirit of the Lord uh, raises up a banner against something like that. So the Lord's going to come. There's going to be fear of him from the west to the east. And the adversary will rush upon. And the, the spirit of the Lord will raise up his banner against. And a redeemer will come to Zion. It could go either way. Linguistically, I lean toward the, the adversary one because of the, the vowel mark here. In which case, it makes you wonder, is this what Paul had in mind? The whole section the adversary is coming against God's people. And he's saying, put on the armor, gear up, stand against him and his evil schemes in the power of the spirit, which Isaiah promised would be given to all of his people. So maybe I raised more questions than I answered here, but I want us to, I want you to wrestle with this. Huh? No pun intended. Wrestle our Wrestling is not against flesh and blood. Wrestle with this and examine, give some thought to how Paul takes this prediction of the Redeemer and the covenant, which includes the spirit and the truth or the word of God. And Paul applies that to the Ephesian church. And then how does that apply to us? See, Paul read the Old Testament as a Christian, not as a Jew, as a Christian, and he recognized all of these promises are fulfilled in Jesus. It's now, now he's reading it saying, oh, Jesus is the Redeemer. It's his armor we're to put on. We have his spirit. We have his word, his truth, his promises, and we are to stand firm against the adversary who comes and throws and fires his, uh, his flaming arrows at us. Well, how does that tie into injustice, unrighteousness, oppression? How do we fight? How do we stand firm and fight against those things? Is it simply by gathering on Sunday morning for an hour and a half? 
having our personal devotional time in the morning seems a little different from that to me. Well, we'll see more of that as we go and pick up there tomorrow. Have a great day in the Lord. Stand firm, Christian, in the armor of God, and we'll see you tomorrow.